0: Welcome listeners to a podcast that seeks to ignite the flames of inspiration and empowerment within the ServiceNow community. I'm Farah Wells, your host and the director of Linking Humans, the number one global partner for ServiceNow recruitment. Join us on this journey as we venture deep into the world of ServiceNow leaders, discover the very essence of their motivations and the unique mindset that paved the way for their remarkable success. So today I've got an amazing guest. She has an impressive track record of spanning nine years within the ServiceNow ecosystem. Now Leah's story is a testament to the power of hard work, determination and an unwavering commitment to excellence. Today, as the Chief of Staff at Flyform, Leah stands as a beacon of inspiration for young professionals worldwide. Her journey reminds us that age is but a number in the grand scheme of achieving one's dreams. So Leah, thank you so much for joining us. It's amazing to have you today. Thanks, Farah, and thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, no, that's amazing. So first of all, Aliyah, I think it was so interesting just to hear your, your journey really, um, you know, particularly, you know, for the young professionals, but also I think, you know, women, right? Because we know traditionally IT has been a very male-dominated industry and obviously there are women that are rising to the top and, and making real, real waves. So it would be just so lovely to hear how you got introduced to ServiceNow and how you achieved such great success.
1: Cool. Thanks, Farah. Yeah, sure. Um, So I I started off, I'll go straight, well, all the way back to to university and the the degree that I actually did. And I did a degree in drama. So it was a little bit left field. Um, It was just something that I found interesting at the time. Um, But what it did do is it moved me over over to London. Um, So I graduated in 2014 and I really wanted to stay um, in London. So I needed to get a job to be able to do that. So um, I got headhunted by some recruiters and we had one of those those days where you, um, you turn up, it's like an assessment day, um, whereby the um, potential employers, they come around, and they watch you working, they watch how confident you are, etc. And then they make um, mm. a, an offer, so almost like a bid on you. Uh, so I had an interview off the back of that. And that was with I had a couple of interviews. But one of them uh, that I really enjoyed was with um, an individual who uh, owned a ServiceNow partner. So that's how I kind of got into the ecosystem and it was uh, purely by luck it wasn't by um uh, by a big dream that i had to go into tech or into it but it was purely by chance and the um the need to to earn money to be able to stay in london
0: yeah that's amazing so when you when you first um joined the service Night ecosystem like what were you doing so i worked initially
1: as an account development rep so basically cold calls Um, So I was uh, aligned with an account manager and I would feed them um, individuals that I had either found that were either interested or wanted to have a meeting or a demo. So I would then share those individuals with the account rep and then they would take those on and hopefully they would they would make a deal. So my the aim for me was to get meetings. And I think that's that's where a lot of people do start within the sales industry. Um, And I guess it's similar Mm. for recruitment as well.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And so would you say like what was your next step after that? Like you know, once you kind of achieved that, what yeah.
1: Yeah. So I with within the sales role, I think um I think my boss at the time and I kind of knew it wasn't really for me. Um I wasn't the type of person to chew anyone's ear off or if they said no, I'd say, "Oh, that's fine." um it was it was more of a it was less of a persuasion tactic and i was yeah, treating individuals as as individuals and when they said no i was like yeah that's cool i'll move on to the next one so i kind of didn't have that tenacity um i didn't have the the get go and the the drive for it so i actually took a like a 6 month period out where i went to a different organization and i was working with them and we were creating cycling events and stuff like that so that's kind of where I understood that I really enjoyed project management. Um, I really enjoyed uh, the, the event, like creating an event and it coming together. Um, so I did that for, for six months. And unfortunately, they can keep me on for, for much longer on a decent wage. I was only like 12K because it was an interim 12K a year in London. I was sofa surfing big time uh, and it was yeah, life was a bit of a struggle. So I I, um, I went on an evening out with the old company uh, where I first started in ServiceNow and um, I got chatting to the, the co-founders of that organization and they said they might have a role for me. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm interested because I'm almost finished this internship. So we had a, a conversation a couple of weeks later and it was for an office management position. So it's still within the, the ServiceNow ecosystem, but it was to be um, their receptionist, their office manager. And it kind of then spawned into loads of different roles so it was a facilities management. And I say that really lightly. So facilities was like the toilet needs a new toilet seat. So we were in oh, these wow. uh, really <laughs> small offices and we need some whiteboards in the meeting room. So I'd buy the whiteboards and I'd work with um, one of my team members and then we'd put them up um, throughout, the, throughout the day. I'd be introducing clients into the, the organization. I'd be like interviewing and um, doing like a first level interview with other individuals. I then started to manage the team that I used to be in. And that was the account mm. development rep. So I would just be there as like a, a people manager um, hopefully motivating them to close um, some more deals and, and get some more meetings on their radar. Um, but yeah, it just kind of like spawned into something. I think the, um both the co-founders kind of understood that I had some capabilities, but even I didn't know where I wanted to put those capabilities or, or what my capabilities were. Um, but I found that job really, really interesting. And I do look back on those times really fondly.
0: Yeah, amazing. Sounds so much fun. And so it just gives our listeners a bit of an idea about what a chief of staff role looks like and what they do. Like, can you describe like what your day to day kind of responsibilities are? Yeah, good question. So chief of staff role for every organisation is completely different.
1: Um, So I'll, I'll point this the difference out now. So it's not like a VP of people or a head of people at all. Um, I do look after the people um, department within Flyform, um, but it's I, I am not um, CIPD qualified or anything like that. Um, but what the chief of staff role at Flyform does is very much like a utility manager um, type. So if there is like a problem area within the business, I'd go and I'd help understand what the problem is. And we then create hopefully a project or an initiative off the back of it and we drive that through. Um, we've recently rolled out or will be rolling out um, the uh, like an OKR um, structure uh, within the organization. So we as a senior leadership team, we know exactly where we want the business to go over the next quarter and we want to be able to share some of that direction with other levels within the organization to make sure we're all rowing in the same direction because we're quite a big company now i think we're almost at um, 85 or 90 um, individuals so if we focus that power we're definitely um yeah gonna going ach- be able to achieve more as a team
0: yeah that sounds amazing and for somebody who wants to go in a position similar to yours um like what would you recommend like how is the best path that they should take yeah, so chief of chief of staff
1: role is something that is usually seen as like a a, a pre role to being a, a managing director or a CEO. So it's the the chief of staff role has the opportunity to work with every single department. So they're kind of like tying threads between or understanding client customer journeys and, and stuff like that. So um, the best advice I could probably give is to well, this is what I did anyway, um, is to try and well work in a company that obviously you enjoy. And then it's to suggest the chief of staff role to the founders of the organisation, and that's exactly what I did. Um, I realised mm-hmm. that I wanted to be involved in Flyform a little bit more than I originally was as a contractor, and I created a business case for. Um, it wasn't called chief of staff, but I called it something like business operations project manager or something like that, because I realised yeah. that there were some um, elements within Flyform that I thought we could do. Quicker, And we could we could make improvements um, uh, at a faster pace and and make them better as well. So um, Mm -hmm. I suggested that I wrote wrote a little business case um, with my suggested um, points of view, some problem statements and stuff like that. And I took it and I said, hey, these don't have to be problems anymore. We can we can create resolutions. And I think I'm the person that's going to help make Flyform a better place to work. And that's that's essentially what I did. But I do think that um, an operations background or having that office manager receptionist and getting more and more involved in in different departments, I'd recommend that as a path. However, I think as a person, you need to be the type of person who doesn't mind getting their hands dirty for anything um, and no jobs too small. And I think that's probably a, a character trait that you need to carry.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, do, like your role, does it encompass anything from a technical perspective? From
1: a tech perspective,
0: no, uh, not
1: directly. However, context within the environment or within the uh, industry that the company operates in is essential. So there might be something that comes out, and I'm, I'm just making this up, but it's according to our um, project governance that we have at Flyform. Me understanding how the projects work that we deliver, the counterparts within that project, um, the individuals and their purpose, the clients that we have as well and the type of clients that we're dealing with. All of that context is really, really important. So coming from the background of that company. So obviously I was um, I was the the office manager and I was exposed to a lot. And then I was an engagement manager. I was exposed to a lot. And then I moved into the chief of staff role. So I kind of have context and I can resonate with a lot of individuals because of that context.
0: Yeah, sounds perfect. So wonderful. And, you know, I think, you know, obviously you have got to such an amazing position now. And, uh, you know, you've got a real influence, um, you know, in terms of what you do. A mindset I think you know it is so important can you just describe your mindset and your attitude I think which has been instrumental um in mm. your journey to the top like how did it develop how do you maintain it as well so the the attitude and mindset I must say I get from my my mum
1: uh I always remember her telling me that nothing um that if I want something I can just go out and get it like nothing's not not achievable um, so I guess that tenacity came from there, uh, maybe a warped way of thinking, but it's it's definitely something that uh, has been ingrained in me for a long period of time, as well as discipline. And I was fortunate enough when I was younger to have um, lots of animals to live on a farm, that kind of stuff. So if you if I wasn't up by six a.m. to do X, Y, Z, then that animal wasn't. No, Why well, we were no longer able to keep it, and it was almost that that discipline from a young age has, has kind of been ingrained. What I do think is is not commonly talked about is being open to opportunities, and taking opportunities when they land, or seeing a challenge as an opportunity. I think that's something that I've been able to develop over time, and I think one of the uh, the the root of it, I guess, and where it started was when we were um, I was working at Focus Group Europe as the office manager, and we were being acquired by Accenture which basically made my role as office manager um, redundant because we didn't have uh, we didn't need an office manager anymore. We were moving to different office locations. Accenture had all of that covered. Right. They didn't they didn't need somebody like me. Um, So the 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 conversations I then had with the co-founders of um, Focus Group Europe at the time, were very open, honest conversations about, Leah, you could do anything that you'd like to in Accenture, but you need to understand what that is. And I do remember having quite teary conversations, um, very delicate conversations as well, around uh, what my next steps were. I guess I felt a bit confused and lost. But eventually I saw it as an opportunity and I decided to then go down the project management route. And then it's fully investing in that and trusting yourself to, to do a good job because there are there are pieces in there as well, which would um, which would suggest, of oh, I don't really have the career path for it. I haven't done the qualifications. Why do why am I in that position? And I guess imposter syndrome is is something that uh, maybe a little light sprinkling of that. But it was just around seizing opportunities and understanding where there can be an opportunity. And I guess it's been curious as well. And having that that kind of mindset. Um, but but for the day to day and being able to um, do my job at the level that I, that I believe I do it at, it's all around creating a steadier um, personal life, I believe. So anything at work could go sideways or upside down. Um, but if I have a solid home life and I have a dedicated partner, um, th- those are the things that mean a lot to me. And we have a lot of shared values as well. Having that home life, like having a home life that feels secure enables me, I think, to take, um to go all in when it comes to work, because having, having a home life that is a struggle, and then obviously work, because sometimes days are a struggle, it can feel like it's a relentless kind of cycle, um, and then obviously there's, there's things such as burnout, which come off the back of that, so yeah, you've got to be yeah. really careful on kind of where you want to spend your coins every day, and I think that's an assessment that I kind of make every day, like I've got some coins that need to be spent at home. So that's less coins than for work. I, the, the, I don't have an infinite amount of coins to give.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And, and I, I just think it's so interesting how you touched upon like having that solid foundation. And it's, you know, because then if you feel calm, you know, then you're mm. going to produce your best work and, and be happy yeah. and, and enjoy what you do. It, exactly. Yeah. And I, I work it well, we work in
1: like a really um, nobody dies on our job we're very lucky, right? It's not one wrong move and we're in a hospital and something bad happens. So we have to just remind ourselves that it's just an issue. It's just a problem. Let's just try and work out how we, how we solve it um, and, and do, or do our yeah. best and put our best foot forward. I think that's got a lot to do with feeling psychologically safe as well. So if we were to make some decisions or within um, the departments that I run, we were to make decisions. If they aren't the right decisions, I hold my hands up. That's absolutely fine. That the fact that at Flyform, no one berates me for it. Nobody, um, nobody says, "Oh, how, how could you have done that?" If they just try and understand what I was thinking, and we will come to a better resolution. And I think that psychological safety at work really, really helps.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And it, you know, it, it's great because it, it give, empowers people to to be confident. And like you said at the beginning, be curious. You know, if, if there's an environment that you're stuck in, whether it's home, life or anywhere, and if you're not allowed to kind of explore, you know, you know, it's like almost like the growth stops, right? Yeah. We, you know, it's only when we get out of our comfort zone, we grow. So
1: yeah, exactly.
0: And, and like, yeah. don't get me wrong. Some
1: days I cannot see the wood for the trees it just doesn't work for me. Right. And other days you're able to be curious. So you can't do it every day. You have to remind yourself of that as well.
0: Okay. That's, that's amazing. And there was one thing that you really touched upon, which is really interesting. Um, where you talked about, um, imposter syndrome, right? So many leaders, they do face moments of doubt of imposter syndrome. How do you manage kind of self doubt and to overcome those feelings of insecurity, like throughout, throughout your career?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think we all do have self-doubt and it creeps up, but it's just what you do with the self-doubt. There are, I guess when I first started in the chief of staff role, we had a quarterly event at Flyform and um, Phil and Aaron and the rest of the senior leadership team said, look, Leah, I think you've got something that we should talk about. And I was like, what talk in front of all these people? I I don't think I've got enough, like... I don't have enough scars. I don't have enough medals to wear to be able to get the individuals in the room to believe what I'm saying. And that was that was definitely something. There was definitely a moment of self doubt there, and definitely imposter syndrome. So I didn't feel like at that point, a couple of months in, I was credible enough and um, for the team to believe what I what I was saying. And I had an interesting conversation with my partner, and he said that nobody in that audience wants you to fail. Whenever have you Whenever have you sat in a live event and thought? are they that they're gonna they're gonna screw this up Like i hope they screw this yeah. up that never happens and you just have to trust the people on the other end to to have confidence in you and to want you to succeed and i think that's something that i do i do go through every quarterly event that the guys in front of me they're not interested in me failing they want to believe the things that that i'm saying so i just need to give them a reason to believe it and so that was like what yeah i guess like one element of self-doubt another element of self-doubt as well it's just Um, I guess me not believing that my opinions in a room full of um, individuals who have got 20 years of experience on me, that my opinions are valid. And that's something that I have honed over time. And there was a very eye opening moment I think It was December last year where we as a senior leadership team, we went around the room and we said one thing that we really liked about that person and one thing that we we believe they could improve or we want them to kind of stop doing. And I had three answers and so three of us in uh, four of us in the room at the time I had three answers that said Leah we want you to believe in yourself more and I thought hang on no, I do believe in myself and they're like well we don't see that so it was my I guess my posture my body language how I talked about things I wasn't coming across as somebody who truly believed in what they were saying and within a quarter before our next assessment and our next review of like how we'd done I think I nailed it. And it was around, oh, I nailed it. Not, I think I nailed it. But it was more around like having, like acting that person that, who has that confidence. And then since then, I believe my contribution to the team and contribution to Flyform has just leveled up because yeah. I've just been far more open with my opinions. And when I do have something that forms in my brain that I do want to say at a meeting, I don't sit on it anymore. I'm confidently able to challenge the room in a respectable way. I think that's something that has I've definitely sort of like grown and understood over time. But that's practice. But it's also being confident in the room um, with the people that you're there with. Without that safety, like I mentioned before, psychological safety, it's very hard uh, to get your opinions across uh, in in a meaningful way and, and to believe and feel that they've been respected and heard.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic advice. And uh, you know, they, they kinda of always say it's so it's almost like act as if, you know, it's almost like, you know, just put on a facade and, and act as if, you know, you are the best mm. in the room and, and that like kind of drama that degree. mental
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah drama degree coming in hot there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So now that's brilliant. And you know, I think what really helps people in their careers is having a really good mentor, you know, and someone who's give some guidance, you know, um, you know, throughout their career, like what, what's your opinions on, on role models and, and, and mentors?
1: Yeah, I think mentor, I'm not sure if I've had a mentor or maybe I think a mentor needs to be assigned or something like that, but there's definitely people that I've looked up to. Um, I believe it's around opportunities, so I haven't necessarily had mentors, but I've had people that have given me opportunities and I have in re- obviously thanked them for that opportunity. And I've asked if they would help me hone that skill and get better at it. Um, but I, I do think that wanting to be more like somebody or learn from somebody is really, really important. And I don't think that has to be limited to the workplace. We've got obviously now in the age of social media and podcasts and everything like that, you can... You can tap into anybody who you want to be a little bit more like or you want to learn from. So you've got the Diary of the CEO podcast. You've got Simon Sinek is all over LinkedIn. You've got some amazing leaders, some amazing um, thought leaders, uh, different books, etc. I don't believe a mentor um, has to be somebody who is uh, right in front of you, sat face to face. I think we can definitely pull um, our the idea of mentorship from uh, different social medias and, and different, um, different educators within the space.
0: Yes, that sounds amazing. So perfect. Um, and, you know, obviously, um, if somebody who's kind of at the beginning of their career, um, and they're just kind of in establishing themselves, um, what do you think pathways, you know, if somebody's, for example, the next gen community Mm -hmm. right so someone's literally at the beginning of their career what what um what advice would you take what career path would you kind of suggest where do you think there's a need in the industry for Mm. for for talent at the moment
1: yeah really good question um tech i would say i actually reverse that i think you need to understand what your values are as as a person and there are there's loads of sheets out there that have different words on there where you can understand your values. Um, you can pick ten. I think is a really good exercise. If your values are knowledge or um, learning, continuous learning, service now is a fantastic space to go into. If your values are monetary based, then that's fine. I would suggest tech, and I would suggest becoming a technical consultant. Because a lot of uh, within the ServiceNow ecosystem, there is a limited amount of resources for tech and tech specific. So if you were to have a look at project managers, project managers can um, be educated on ServiceNow for a brief stint and then go into ServiceNow. Because the project management, the fundamentals kind of remain the same. The actions, the risk issues, decisions, they're all the same, right? We're all um, the, the same processes apply. But specifically, if you, were, if you were in love with ServiceNow, I would recommend going down the technical route, because I believe your earning potential is a lot more, as well as your potential to grow and to learn. I believe that, is, um, yeah, that, that has no bounds and has no end.
0: Yeah, that sounds fantastic. So th- thank you very much for that. So amazing. Just kind of going back and talking about perhaps certifications in the ServiceNow mm-hmm. ecosystem, um how important do you think they are and for, especially for someone starting out their career like which certifications would you recommend
1: Yeah so I'd recommend CSA if you're first starting out so that's your your basic your admin um and I think ServiceNow certs are so so important they're like your badge of honor uh, the more you collect the better you come across and also the more experience you'll have um across the platform So with ServiceNow, obviously, there's so many different modules. You can take so many different um, certs or micro certs and deltas. It it can be really, really overwhelming. However, the more certifications that you have, the better you will come across um, within the ServiceNow space. And that's somebody who, obviously, as a a tech resource or as a BA, the more experience you have, the better it's going to be for you, the more attractive you're going to look to employers And also with ServiceNow rolling out their new partner programme, certifications have never been this important before. So if you're coming into an organisation with, let's say, six certifications, the organisation or the partner is going to be thinking, oh, ding, 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 we can add those certifications to our list now. So I think it's really, really important from an educational standpoint, but also from a partner's perspective and actually wanting to employ you as an individual.
0: Right, that's fantastic. And do do you find, do partners support um, like new individuals in, in gaining those certifications? Is it yeah, an industry absolutely. thing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think
1: what um, partners typically would like a CSA to start with, but to be able to develop the, the consultants that they have on their books, you need to make sure that they're able to take certifications and take that time to be able to do that. Um if you're, especially if you're a partner wanting to be of the elite status, that's something that's going to be really, really important.
0: Yeah, yeah that's amazing. So, okay, wonderful. And, you know, just kind of going back and obviously ServiceNow, it's it's a rapidly evolving platform. Mm-hmm. It has new features. It has updates. How can young professionals stay up to date with the latest advancements and, and just make sure their skills remain relevant and in demand?
1: Yeah, great question. I think, again, it goes back to certifications. Absolutely. So uh, I think that the Delta period for all of your um, certifications is is between October and January. So to be able to upskill on certain areas of the platform, I would suggest going to uh, ServiceNow YouTube. I think it might be where you can find all of the knowledge uh, information. So that's the knowledge is a really big event that happens in Vegas in usually in and around May. And that's where ServiceNow introduces new technologies. I believe they had some um, releases of uh, some relationship with AI as well um, in, in May. So it's really important for you to review those videos to be able to be kind of up to speed. And they come out every single year. I also think it's beneficial to follow some thought leaders on LinkedIn and spaces like that or the community. And I think those individuals, because they're thought leaders, they kind of see a new piece of technology that ServiceNow brings out, but they see it in a different light and it's a different way to to apply this to a client different thoughts around it um that there's there's loads of different architects that's, that create some really good material on linkedin and i would suggest that they will help you keep up to date
0: yeah that sounds fantastic great advice um and um you know i think you know it's uh important to kind of balance kind of ambition and humility I mean you're so grounded Leah it's it's like amazing how do you maintain that humility whilst striving for success oh yeah <laughs> that that's actually quite a hard
1: one some days and you'll you can speak to any of my colleagues i would be like oh don't I wouldn't I wouldn't disturb Leah today she's on a mission so some days <laughs> I'm like locked in and I can't I can't even squeeze a laugh out um, and other days I feel like I need to bring the laughter and I need to bring a different kind of vibe and attitude to a certain call. Um, so I do kind of I try to make sure that I make that decision before I go on the call. So I know those individuals. Um, I I like to think I know what gets them going. And I'm able to then help influence their mood for the day and stuff like that. Uh, but to be yeah. able to yeah. remain. Uh, yeah, I guess re- remain grounded i think that's all to do with my disciplines that i have every single day my routine my relationship with my partner it's all very happy go lucky and really funny um i do work out every single morning that's something that keeps me grounded because and i i said this so we did a half marathon on sunday it was awful it was so hilly I hadn't realized how hilly it would be. It was very, very challenging. And on my way around, I just thought it doesn't matter what watch you have, what car you drive, how much money you've got in the bank, this run's going to suck either way. And I think that's something that helps me keep grounded is the exercise that I do on the daily basis. So I like to think that I start my day with the hardest thing that's going to that's gonna approach me that day. And usually that's either a Disgusting cardio workout or even just the effort of going to the gym sometimes it's it's just even that, but the goals I have outside of work, I think because their their um, grits, their determination, their discipline it's day on day on day you kind of uh, that compound effect. I don't expect things yesterday. I know that things take time and I think that's something that i've um I've kind of honed myself into the past couple of years. Is that that religious exercising and and making sure that I yeah I I remain grounded because nothing comes for free that I'm expected to work yeah, for it. No, I think fitness is fitness is yeah. that.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And it, you know, it's even the mentality of you know those cold mornings where you're like, oh, I need to go to the gym, and it's it's yep. having that routine embedded and yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's those amazing. Are the fun so ones. brilliant. Those are the fun ones, right? So, oh, by the way, how did you get on in the marathon? <laughs>
1: oh yeah, well, I didn't get the time that I really wanted. I got two hours twenty. So and my boyfriend got oh, one. So he oh, wow. had to yeah. wait forty minutes for me to finish. <laughs> so he was probably in a lot of pain <laughs> waiting for me. But it was the it was the effort that went into it beforehand. So I've had two knee surgeries, so it's not been it's not been easy. It's a like a really big road to recovery there. And we just did small things. And my boyfriend's a personal trainer, so that's obviously very helpful. We just did small things over time. And I suddenly realized that my gains weren't made in my time that I was making or getting quicker. It was made in my recovery. So after doing a 20K run on the weekend, I was able to just get on with my life, which is something that a year ago, I would not have been able to do that. I wouldn't have been able to walk.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. That's incredible, that is, obviously, with the knee surgeries. And to get that time, I think, yeah, it's amazing. Well done. So brilliant. So, yeah. So look, Leah, if you could go back in a time machine, now let's pretend we're back to the future, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and you could talk to your 21-year-old self, right? What advice would you give her? And this can be totally non-work related.
1: Oh, what advice? What was I even doing at 21? So I just started a job. I think the advice that I would give myself is just, just keep like, don't worry about it. It will be fine in the end. And I think I just put a lot of pressure on myself as a young person. And the pressure that I put on myself, I don't think allowed me to have as much fun as I wanted, or allowed me to be relaxed about things. I, I, I gave myself a, a lot of pressure at that young age. And I, I wish I could go back and say, Hey, look, don't worry about it. You'll, you'll be good. You, you, like, you, you know you've got this.
0: I think that's a, amazing advice because we, I think we all do that, right? We all look back at our life and think at that time, those problems seemed huge, right? Absolutely mm-hmm. huge. And when we get older, we look back and think, was it even that important? So, um, and yeah. I think just hearing... Th- th- somebody like yourself say that you know i think it just kind of people probably think that and then yeah to have it hearing from you i think it's like amazing so yeah brilliant so well look leah i just want to say absolutely huge thank you to you uh, for sharing your story your journey um i hope that you know for our listeners it will give them inspiration um that you can do it you know that you can be confident you can be do it just believe in yourself uh and yeah. i think that's an amazing message to give out so thank you so much yeah. really appreciate appreciate it oh thanks for thanks for letting me share as well I think it's really important